Welcome to the Side Hustle Project, a podcast where we explore the nitty-gritty details behind what it takes to start and grow a profitable side hustle. I'm your host, Ryan Robinson, and in this podcast, I'm bringing you interviews with entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, CEOs, investors, and people just like you who are building and profiting from interesting side hustles. In today's episode, we're talking to Grant Cardone, the best-selling author of both the 10X Rule and If You're Not First, You're Last, amongst several other popular sales books. Grant is a serial entrepreneur, sales trainer, host of the Cardone Zone radio show, and a speaker with a vast experience in the real estate industry. Grant's consulted for Fortune 100 companies like Google, Wells Fargo, and Ford to build out customized sales processes and improve customer experience. On top of all of this, Grant hosts his own conference called the 10X Growth Conference, where he brings in speakers like Damon John, Russell Brunson, Chelsea Crost, and more. In this episode, Grant and I talk about how to build a truly scalable sales process, no matter your type of business or the industry you're in, from growing a startup to landing better freelance clients to getting your own product or scaling an online business. We cover everything that's changing about sales today and how Grant's used his experience to scale a diversified business, including a wide range of real estate holdings worth several hundred million dollars. We dig deep into the mechanics of closing high value clients, Grant's absolute best sales advice, what it takes to be an effective salesperson, and so much more. As always, you can find everything we mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at ryrob.com slash podcast. That's spelled R-Y-R-O-B dot com slash podcast. Let's get into today's interview with Grant Cardone. All right, Grant. So one of the topics you've written and spoken a lot about is how to create a scalable sales process, which I know you've done for both yourself and you've helped a lot of other people and companies do. So when it comes to helping and advising a company on revamping their sales process when something just isn't working, where do you even start? Well, well, number one, you know, the, the problem with sales and scaling out a sales process is most sales processes were never, they, they never considered the salesperson. They're all customer driven. So it's like, okay, we're just going to do whatever the customer wants. And then you wonder why retail is going out of business. So you have to, you have to think about like when we work with a big company, I'm like, it's great that you want to think about the customer, but like, who doesn't? Everybody thinks about the customer. What you need to think about is who is going to actually carry the sword, right? I think about my six-year-old. She can't carry, she can't wield a Tron sword, you know, or a Tron hammer. It, she, she's only, she, she can only carry so much weight. So if you want the customer carried through this long process, but the sales individual cannot do that, or they can't avoid the price, or they can't ask hard questions, or they can't... Uh, handle a customer for an hour and a half or two hours, or they don't know where the inventory is, or they don't know how to negotiate. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you're teaching them, right? So whether it's spin selling or um, I don't, I don't know all the uh, Sandler course, it's got to be easy for the individual to present so that we can scale it. Now that being said, like I started the automobile industry. This was an industry that historically. Uh, was was dinosauric in its approach, long process. Now, this is 25 years ago when I started working with car dealers. Long, control, don't give a price. There was no internet access. Nobody knew anything. So you could literally, uh, I hate to use these words, but you could literally take advantage of people. 
didn't have to answer their questions, et cetera. And I was telling them 25 years ago, this is going to become a problem for you. Nobody wants to be four hours in a car dealership. Nobody wants to spend two hours at Macy's. Hell, people don't even want to drive to Macy's. And so that's where we are today. So when, when, when I took the car dealers, they were using 12 steps. I said, look, your people can't remember them. They get lost. Forget the customer. The people get lost. So to scale out, you need to make something simple and easy for the individual and then acceptable to the customer. So first, it should be the individual that has to use the sales process. And then second, it should benefit the customer. And third, it should result in immediate, immediate increase in sales. I like that. And it seems like something like this comes a lot down to the training of the individual in particular. So when, when it comes to that specific component, where do you guys typically start when you're coming in? Do you, do you have sort of like a sales training plan already yeah. in yeah. mind? So, so we're, we're going to go in and basically we're going to look for low hanging fruit when we go into a company or with a small or large company. I'm like, hey, where's the low hanging fruit? And by the way, some of the low hanging fruit has nothing to do with the sales process. Like I'm working with a Fortune 100 company right now and we're not going to even talk about the sales process. All we're going to do is go attack follow-up. We're just going to basically fill up the follow-up portion, everybody that's been in there the last 30 to 90 days, and we're going to start contacting those people with exact scripts, presentations, come back in, what can we do for you? I mean, like really like, like a greedy approach. The greedy approach is I just want to change my bottom line right now and then we'll work on the sales process later. So, by the way, the greedy approach is very important for customer saturation. If you don't have customer saturation, you're never going to have customer satisfaction. They, they don't come, you know, Apple's got customer satisfaction because it has customer immersion and saturation, right? They, they, you, you own a lot of Apple products so that you tend to be happy with them because you're, you're so committed to them. So, the second thing that we would do to answer your question is the longer part. We would start with the sales management team and showing uh, results with salespeople by shortening things. I want to shorten things. I know the price, the customer's price sensitive. I know the customer doesn't have much time. I know the customer thinks they want to get in and get out in most cases. So we're going to use that. We're going to use that time sensitivity, not trusting sales organizations, price sensitivity, we're going to use that in the beginning of our sales model to feed the beast, if you will, to satisfy the appetite of the customer. So you've mentioned a couple of times now, um, you know, helping people shorten their sales cycle, making it yeah. an easier process for both the salespeople and the customers. Um, you know, you've been in sales for a couple of decades at least. What, if anything else, would you say has sort of changed in recent years as far as how companies are going about scaling sales teams? Well, third, third party, you, have, you need third party data. I mean, the customer is going to shop you on the net. They, they either have before they got there or they, they have before they got there and will shop you after they leave, you know, or they're going to shop you on the net while they're in your store or while they're talking to you on the phone. Okay. So like in my company, we have a third of my company is retail face to face. A third of it is over the phone and a third of it is over the internet. That's probably a little bit of a simplification and an exaggeration because there is a hybrid portion of that that has been visited here on the phone, on the internet, and all at, the, all at the same time. Like I had a guy in here the other day. 
he was, he came to Miami to meet me. We talked about something he could do for me in my office and I showed it to him online while he sat in my office. So I also showed him what other competitors would do for him. If he wanted to go to so-and-so or so-and-so or consult with another company, I'm like, let me show you what their pricing is. So that's how things are changing. Like you, you, you should be using the net like another employee, like a source of credibility. Now, somebody's sitting there thinking, but if I show them the net, if I take them to the internet and show them my competition, they're, they're going to see something that's not good for me. Okay, well, well, why would they see something that's not good for you? Okay, anything they see should be good for you as long as you're controlling the environment and controlling the storyline, right? Look, look, Donald Trump takes everything that happens to him, even the worst thing, and somehow figures out how to control the storyline. So how do you control the storyline? How do you control the data available to the customer? How do you show them, you know, show them that data in a way that makes sense so they're not going home in their own time um, somehow contorting the data against you? Yeah, I like the way you framed that too. Um, you know, crafting the narrative, controlling the story. So, you know, you've done consulting, you have training events, you have courses, you have mastermind groups, you have all these things where you've touched lots of different kinds of people and organizations over the years. So, what would you say is, you know, one of the more common mistakes maybe that sales managers in particular tend to make? Well, number one, the, the, the biggest mistake a sales manager makes is they, they wait too long to get involved in a transaction. So management, you should be intercepting. You should be intercepting a customer. Calls, webs, web visits, uh, abandoned carts, uh, customers that are visiting your showroom. You should be intercepting that customer and making a touch. We call it management interaction, uh, intervention. So you should be intervening before there's an issue or a problem. Typically, management only gets involved once the, the kitchen's burning down to the ground. Okay, let me be a fireman. You're not a fireman, man. You're a manager. You manage You manage an activity and an outcome. You don't manage after the fact, right? I have the coach. Like, watch, watch professional football. Watch uh, baseball. Watch the NBA. The coach is coaching. The manager is coaching throughout the game. Let's try this play. Let's try this play. Let's work this out. This is what's happening right now, okay? I got headsets. Uh, Tom Brady's got a freaking ear, uh, a, a, a dauber in his ear, who knows what it is, and he's getting feedback from above because they can see something he can't see. Now, this is the best in the game that's getting feedback from a manager that's saying, look, man, look, look at your right side of the field. We see something you can't see. So they're intervening in the game. A lot of people call this micromanaging. Typically in corporate America, they're like, I don't want to be micromanaged, okay? Look, your business is dying. Okay. If your body was dying, they send you to a hospital, they put you on a gurney, they bring you in, they put you on a table and they put a whole bunch of little freaking things on you to find out what the hell is wrong with you because you're dying. So you're going to have your pulse, your temperature, your blood pressure. You're going to have things inside of you. Like I want to be micromanaged. I don't, I don't know what the big problem is. Well, well, I need to delegate to my people. Your people are not effective at managing, controlling, selling, closing, and following up. So now if, 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 they're, if they're all doing well and they're all winning, leave them alone. But that's not the case for most sales organizations. So we're going to do about $100 million out of my little office right here in Miami today. Again, a third of it's on the internet, a third of it's on the phone, a third of it's face-to-face. 
Some of it's digital products, some, some of it's tangible, some of them are hard products, some of them are intangible services. I'm in here managing every day, tweaking every day. Every day I'm tweaking. I have to tweak today. You're in the era of micromanage. Why? Because we're, we're changing. Everything is changing so fast today. Uh, you know, yeah, my yeah. pilot, I own, I own an aircraft. I own my own plane. And, and when we fly the plane, I notice the pilot, if he's not on autopilot, some of the flight can be done on autopilot, by, by the way. But when I'm going up to Teterboro and, and we're trying to splice a storm on the, on the east side and another storm on the west and I'm trying to splice it, he, he's having to make adjustments. He's working with the tower to make changes. Then he's got me in the back saying, hey, dude, cool it out, man. I got my kids on. I don't want to be doing all this bumping. So that's the real world. All these books that talk about delegate, turn it over, let them be themselves, that didn't happen most salespeople, 40, 46% of all salespeople never plan on being salespeople. Okay. So it's not like, like, you know, I was eight years old saying, I am going to be a professional salesperson when I grow up. They, people need to be managed. I like that. I think the, the proactivity approach is really important here for sure. And the uh, second shifting- mistake, I, I'm yeah. sorry, but the second mistake I would say managers are making is, is you guys aren't following up, you know? The third mistake I would tell you is you don't measure enough stuff. I measure, like I I have an app on my phone, sitting on my phone right now. Every time I get an order, any order in my company, I get hit. Somebody just bought $4.69 worth of products from me. Now, Now, I get a financial update every day on all my companies, okay? Every day I see my financial report, every checking account, every savings account. I get a report on every Instagram, Facebook, Twitter uh, uh, impressions every day. Uh, my LinkedIn stories, I know how many people read my LinkedIn story every day and I get a report on that every day. How many customers bought from me? How many people used my program at Cardone University yesterday? How many people opened it? I want to know, are people using my platform? So I'm a freak when it comes to like, is it working? What we're doing and what we're selling, are people using it? Because if they're not using it, I'm going to lose. I love that. Uh, Shifting gears a little bit now, what would you say has been the most important deal you've ever been a part of closing? And this could be with any of your companies across the years. Well, that's a big, that's a big, big question. Um, Because, you know, the first thing I think of is biggest financial gain I've ever done on a deal. Uh, So that's one thing Uh, I think about my personal life, you know, of uh, getting my, the wife that I have that they, they gave me two beautiful kids. That was a big sale. She didn't want to go out with me. Um, you know, it's a, it's a lot of different things. I mean, selling myself, I'm buying this plane. This plane's been the best investment, one of the best investments I've ever made in my life. It was a huge deal for me. And, and it was scary and everybody told me not to do it. So, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think it's one thing, right? It's like I've been involved in a lot of big deals. I worked with the Pentagon, worked with the Pentagon to help the troops. I did this um, pro bono. You know, I didn't get paid any money for it. Probably one of the biggest things I've ever done in my life is help the military. So transition from, from, from being, you know, uh, military occupied overseas to coming back and be, becoming a state farm agent. It's a huge, ma- massive transition for an individual. It probably results in, you know, 22 suicides a day because they, they, they don't know how to make that transition. So uh, I raised $112 million for charity in the last two years. That's a huge deal. 
I've raised more money for charity that, than I did for my company. So um, that was a big deal. Yeah, I would say so. Um, how about this? A, a different spin on that question. What would be one of the most difficult negotiations that you've ever been a part of? Well, it would be, that's a great question. It would be, there's a guy I've been calling on for 17 years and I still haven't closed him. I've only got in front of him once. Wow. 17 years I've been calling on this guy. So, um, he owns three jets. He's, he's a multi-billionaire. He knows me. Supposedly, he's, he tells everybody in his organization, I love that Grant Cardone dude. I've never gotten a penny from him. And I'm still working him twice a year, twice a year, sometimes four times a year. I call him up. Hey, man, come on. When are we going to do something? Are we going to do something before you die? Because now I'm starting to worry about it. That's the art of the follow-up, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, so what would be an example of, you know, maybe a particularly impressive sales organization that you know of today, if, if anyone sort of jumps to mind as sticking out? I mean, there's so many of them. I, you know, I, gotta, I, gotta, I have to mention Amazon, you know, just because they figured out how to, how to basically Uber the taxi driver. And, and what I mean by that is, look, people, customers hate salespeople. But, but, but just so everybody, all the salespeople out there understand, they hate salespeople because most salespeople are not professionals. And by the way, customers don't hate salespeople because they pressure. Most customers don't like salespeople because, number one, they don't know the product. They don't know where it is. And it takes too long. And the reality is what the customer doesn't know is most sales interactions don't even happen. Like this is the big failure of salespeople. 70, for, I'm going to take a retail number. In retail, 72% of salespeople never even present a number to a customer for what it takes to purchase a product. Now, these are retail stores that have physical boxes that people drove to, parked, went in, asked a question, and then the salesperson doesn't say, hey, let me show you a number. Uh, I called a client yesterday. I called somebody on the phone yesterday. We do these mystery shops. And I said, I need three dozen roses delivered by six o'clock tonight. Okay, it was an hour and 28 minutes away. It was uh, 4.28 in the afternoon or 4.32 or something. And the guy's like, sorry, all the trucks are gone. Can't get you tonight. I'm like, wow. Okay, thanks. Click. I hang up. I'm like, wow, three dozen roses. It's not February the 14th. Probably the biggest order he got today. And he tells me I can't do it. Okay, now, could he have gotten somebody? Could he have Ubered over the roses? Oh, my yeah. driver's gone. Dude, think about it, bro. Like, like, so number one, most salespeople are not figuring out a solution, okay? of sales, a real estate, uh, in the real estate industry, the real estate industry is going to get turned on its freaking ear because you still have real estate agents. If I call one right now and say, what's the financing going to be on $690,000? The normal answer is going to be, I can't tell you that. I don't know. I'll have to turn you over to somebody else. I don't want that. It's not what people want. I don't want to talk to seven different people today. So Amazon, 
obviously has figured out how to short circuit and take advantage of what people don't like. Now, what's some good traditional sales organizations? There's a bunch of them out there. I mean, I work with Morgan Stanley. They spend a lot of time working with their financial advisors, State Farm, Northern Trust, a bunch of the big commercial real estate guys work with me. Um, you know, they're, they're, the companies like Google actually reach out to me and say, hey, show me what we don't know because we're so heavy on the internet. We think we're missing something face-to-face. Google sent a whole team of people in here from YouTube uh, uh, in a Google division uh, that are interested in selling uh, Google and YouTube ads. Tell me what we don't know because they know what they do know. But, but if anybody out there thinks that retail by face-to-face selling, over-the-phone selling is going to go away, you're wrong, okay? It's not going away. Fewer people are going to play in the space because it's hard. But if you want to make real money, you really want to be a third, a third, and a third if you could be. Third internet sales. By the way, most of our carts are abandoned. I don't know if you can get the number, John, what we got abandoned yesterday. Can you ask one of those guys out there? I guarantee you, I'm going to guess right now, 70% of my carts were abandoned yesterday. He's going to go get the number. So if it's abandoned, what do I do? I could send a text. Somebody needs to know how to send a text. That means somebody has to know how to communicate. A text is a very abbreviated form of communication. Okay, chat. Most chat fails because nobody knows how to communicate. You guys are doing chat robots. They suck. They're terrible. Okay, I know it's a robot. I don't want a robot. Okay, I abandoned the cart. I abandoned the internet. I abandoned a robot already. The last thing you want to do is keep hitting the guy with a robot. What about picking up the phone and calling the guy and say, hey, you abandoned the cart. Can you tell me why? Or what about the people that did buy a $4 product from me? Can we call them now and say, hey, I got a special for you? So those are the organizations that are embracing social media, internet sales, phones, face-to-face, offering all of that, not one of those is going to win the game. That's a great way to frame it. And I think also tapping into, you know, one of the things you said in particular was that people got to be problem solvers. The best salespeople are problem solvers. They're, they're trying to figure out the right solution for their customer. Um, and I can imagine a lot of what you personally do today is sort of focusing more on managing your team, building out your sales teams. Um, so what, if anything, aside from this sort of like problem solver component would be an important trait or quality in a potential sales hire for your company? Well, you know, you know uh, it's a great question. Number one, we're just going to keep hiring more people until we find the right ones. I don't think there's a personality test out there that, look, if I took a personality test, mo- most companies wouldn't even hire me. So they're like, no way, that guy's trouble. Yeah, I am trouble. Okay, I'm hard to manage. But, but you, you know, you know I, I, I confront situations. I, I'm noisy. But, but I get results, right? So not all salespeople are going to be like me. You know, I probably, I could probably take my organization back here. I got a bunch of people making phone calls today and, and um, in an environment where you think cold calling would be dead and we're proving out every day it's not. I got people back there 32 years old earning 700 grand a year, making calls to companies, getting past the gatekeeper. So what am I looking for? Number one, I'm looking to add people constantly. Even when I get a bunch of people, I'm looking to add more people. I have to add. I have to keep adding people to grow. Uh, number two, I, I need to be willing to 
take the pulse. I have to take the pulse. Just because they did good yesterday doesn't mean their head's right today. So I got to keep, I'm, I'm competing with a lot of noise in the world. There's so much noise on this planet that I have to keep my people focused on the, the main, to keep the main thing, the main thing. I got to keep selling my people on why our product and service is the best in the marketplace. And if you don't do that, if you don't keep selling them, keep looking for good people, keep making the people you have better, you're going to keep lowering your price to be competitive. So I either make my people better and better or I'm going to lower my price. And, and sometimes you got to make them better and lower your price, but get more volume. We had 46. Yeah. Cards had a 240. Oh, so we only have, we only had, uh, they're saying I had a 25% abandonment yesterday. I don't believe that. I think they're lying to me. Okay. 67% abandoned. No, no, they, they, they made it through. Yeah, we had a 20, 26% abandonment, but look, see th those guys back there, they're not counting. I did three Facebook streams yesterday where I made an offer. 31,000 people saw one of the streams. What about all those people? They all abandoned. They didn't purchase. They didn't close. Okay. So see, see the other thing is when you're an executive of a company, you tend not to lie to yourself. When you work for a company, you lie to yourself all the time because you want to make your numbers look good. But real professionals, okay, real professionals don't lie to themselves. They don't make excuses. Tom Brady does not make excuses. Okay. Conor McGregor could say, yeah, I did pretty good against Mayweather. No, you still lost. Okay. You went longer than everybody thought. I could give you a bunch of reasons why the gloves were too big. You couldn't kick, you know, you couldn't use your elbow. You couldn't rabbit punch. You couldn't throw the dude down. Okay. If, if, if you were an MMA fighter, if Mayweather had to fight you the other way, he'd have probably lost too. But, but the bottom line is you lost. So the executives, the real champions say, dude, we didn't, we didn't get the job done. And the, the real, the good executives, the one that, ones that are going to survive don't make excuses and they don't lay blame. They look for how can we get the rest? Whether it's 26% or 67%, how do we get, pick up that difference? I like that. So one of the common themes also that we've been exploring in, in this interview series is, you know, the proliferation of all the different tools that are now at the disposal of a salesperson today, you know, things like CRMs, um, gathering prospects as scales, automating email outreach, like all these things that, you know, so many tech companies in particular are leveraging. So in this world where tools are doing so much more for us, um, what would you say is the biggest challenge facing a salesperson today? You guys are overwhelmed with tools. You know, what, what, if the tools are so good, why did, why did the production not go up? Well, why, 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 why is it that so many people are going to be replaced, you know, and production still doesn't go up? Why is there so many failing companies at a time when there's so much money and so much expansion? Look, there, there's no CRM that's going to use, that's going to, that's going to, like somebody has to build the script out. 90% of a CRM is never used. Uh, 90, you, look, most phones aren't even used. Most people don't even use their phone, the smartphone, for the capability that it has in it. More than texting and making a phone call, most people never use the capacity in that tool. So, again, the tools are only going to be as good as, I'll go back to that sword or that big heavy hammer that Tron's got. Dude, if you can't throw it and you can't catch it, it don't matter, right? 
<clears throat> if I don't know how to wield that sword, like if, if, if you carry a Glock and you're not will, willing to use it, you're not willing to squeeze down on it, if there's four pounds of pressure and you don't know what four pounds feels like, uh, and you're scared when it jumps in your hand, you don't have one in the chamber, like all tools are useless if the guy holding it is not willing to squeeze it. Yeah. All right, Grant. Well, this is going to be my very last question for you. What's, on, the best, what's the best investment you've ever made in the context of building your selling skills? So the best be, investment I ever made was I was yeah. 25 years old. I hated sales. I, spent, I borrowed $3,000 from my mother to buy a, a sales program. And, um, and it was 12 tapes. It was 12 big cassette, big giant tapes. Like these were when tapes were that big. And I had to buy a Betamax machine. I bought, I bought the $3,000. I think it was $29.95. And, and um, they shipped it to me. It took like 10 days for me to get it. That was when the shipping took 10 days. Then when it got there, I was like, oh, I don't have a Betamax machine. I had to borrow another 250 bucks to buy the machine. I made so much money off those tapes. I went from making 30 grand a year to 100 grand a year. <laughs> this is 25 years ago. Most importantly, not only did I make more money, but for the first time in my life, I could say I love sales because for the first time I knew what I was doing. So that, that's been, and, and, and ever since then, I mean, every year I spend hundreds of thousands of dollars here investing in myself and my people uh, in hopes of making us all better, more motivated, more strategic. Some of the programs don't work, but I just keep investing in them, knowing that uh, maybe they don't all work, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I throw it away and say, you know what? I don't, that's not my, that's, that's not the deal for me or I couldn't make it work or it didn't work for me, whatever. But I, that, that doesn't keep me from continuing to educate in myself and my people. I like that. Invest in yourself. Awesome. Well, Grant, thank you for being here. Can you tell everyone uh, viewing today where they can go to learn more about you and everything you're up to? Yeah. Yeah. If you're in sales, you should look at Cardone university, cardoneuniversity.com uh, has had 35 million tested out salespeople go through it. So um, it's an awesome, unbelievable program for veteran salespeople, highly, highly master experienced salespeople. We actually certify sales organizations. This is a very expensive program. We sell it to corporations and companies for up to $80,000 a year. If you want free material from me, go to grantcardone.com or YouTube. You can get stuff for free. There's 3,000 videos sitting on YouTube. Take as much as you want. Get as much as you want. Okay. And then when you're ready to take it to another level, come join me at Cardone University. All right. Thank you for being here. Thanks, man. If you enjoyed this episode of the Side Hustle Project, I would love your support. Head on over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating. And as always, you can catch every episode of the Side Hustle Project on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.